0: Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 875. Chapter 135, Homecoming. Levenshire wasn't a big town. Two hundred people lived there, maybe three if you counted the outlying farms. It was mealtime when we rode in, and the dirt road that split the town in half was empty and quiet. Elle told me her house was on the far side of town. I hoped to get the girls there without being seen. They were worn down and distraught. The last thing they needed was to face a mob of gossipy neighbors. But it wasn't meant to be. We were halfway through the town when I saw a flicker of movement in a window. A woman's voice cried out, And in ten seconds, people began to spill out from every doorway in sight. The women were the quickest, and inside a minute, a dozen of them had formed a protective knot around the two girls, talking and crying and hugging each other. The girls didn't seem to mind. Perhaps it was better this way. A warm welcome might do a lot to heal them. The men held back, knowing they were useless in situations like this. Most watched from doorways or porches. Six or eight came down into the street, moving slowly and eyeing up the situation. These were cautious men, farmers, and friends of farmers. They knew the names of everyone within ten miles of their homes. There were no strangers in a town like Levenshire, except for me. None of the men were close relatives to the girls. Even if they were, they knew they wouldn't get near them for at least an hour, maybe as much as a day. So they let their wives and sisters take care of things. With nothing else to occupy them, their attention wandered briefly past the horses, and settled onto me. I motioned over a boy of ten or so. Go tell the mayor his daughter's back. Run. He tore off in a cloud of road dust, his bare feet flying. The men moved slowly closer to me, their natural suspicion of strangers ending the page. I'm Jeremy.
1: I'm Joanna.
2: I'm Nick. I get what Rothvis is doing here. You know, this is sort of an old-timey setting. Gender roles are pretty clearly defined outside of the spaces that we've been in. We haven't spent a ton of time among like the the common folk, so we're seeing this demonstrated. I think a contemporary critique of this is that in a fantasy, there's no reason to assume that the traditionally defined gender roles of a space are normative. I guess, you know what? This is a, an occasion where the the close reading concept that we have on this podcast works against us because this comes in relatively short order after we spent a ton of time with the Adem, where the gender roles are not reversed, but like extremely different. So I guess that this is meant to stand in contrast to the Adam where like the women here are nurturing and the men are you know useless. There's a like I said there's a contemporary critique of this which is that in a, a fantasy setting where you can imagine anything there's no reason to continue to lay on the gender roles of quote unquote the real world or I guess I'd say the western world unless you're trying to say something about it which I suppose this passage is. I'm not saying this would be improved if you had like a nurturing male among the pack. I think this this whole sequence seems to me that it's where Rothfuss's critics draw their you know those who are now critiquing the, still critiquing the text I should say and not critiquing his writing habits uh would would be drawing their ammunition from and just to head off Jeremy I am not one of those critics like I under, I, I get what Rothfuss is trying to do I see how it's a bit tiresome and how the you know again the discourse has changed since the time this was written so this no longer if this was ever like uh cutting satire it no longer feels that way
0: i think that it is important to kind of remember the context the cultural context of this book and i do think it's also important just to like make it clear that no one is suggesting that rothfuss is saying that like biologically speaking women are inherently nurturing and men are inherently like emotionless clods who don't know what to do in an emotionally delicate situation like this i think what he is Saying and illustrating is that these men and women are socialized in a society that is much like ours, that has like certain roles assigned, uh, you know, masculine and feminine. And these men have been socialized such that they don't really know what to do in a situation like this because they've basically been socialized to like not let their emotions show and not, not, not like deal with emotions in an open way. And so all they can think of to do is kind of prowl around, let the women handle it, and then fixate their attention on the one other man in the situation who is a stranger and therefore a threat. And, like, I agree that, like, this reads a little bit old-fashioned in 2023 in a way that I don't think that it read as old-fashioned necessarily in 2012. Or at least it would have been a lot clearer, I think, in 2012 that we're not supposed to think that these gender roles are, like, the natural order of things so much as they are the product of a particular social environment. Does that all make sense?
1: Reasonable.
2: It strikes me now, and this is something that didn't really occur to me the first few times I read this, this whole sequence, especially in the story in, in in the town that they're in is extremely concerned with like masculinity and gender role. There's a line coming up where Kryn says, you know, he saved us. He killed them all because he's a real man. You know, like they, he talks, they, they talk about, in, in again, I'm breaking our rules here by reading ahead, but we learn how the men of the town rustled up a posse and got fought off by the bandits. And then Quoth was able to single-handedly kill them all. And there's even a line where Crane explicitly says, he is a real man. And again, I'm not saying Rothfuss thinks that those, that's like a good thing, or that is like what it means to be a man.
0: But these people certainly do.
2: Yeah, they certainly do. And like, in light of... And it's interesting because the book doesn't spend much time on this. It doesn't belabor the point and be like, this is a the theme of the book. But laid up against the Adam, it does feel like it's saying something. Or at least it's like asking you to challenge your assumptions about gender and what those roles are and what it does mean to be a man. Does it even... You know, do they do they even matter? Is gender a social construct? <laughs> spoiler alert, it is.
0: And sp- and further spoiler alert, it is a social construct and that doesn't make it matter any less. The Aedm have their own peculiar hangups about gender and like masculinity and gender hierarchy. But even if we don't think about the Aedm, we can think about Kvothe's masculinity in contrast to these men who come off as very like, throughout this chapter, like, insecure in their masculinity and trying to prove their masculinity in a kind of futile or pointless ways. Their insecurity comes from the fact that like both did what they see as their jobs or protecting the women of their town from the sexual advances of strange men. And that's a, you know, that's a tired, you know, toxic masculinity trope as old as the Hills. But at the same time, Quoth does exactly what they all wish they could have done And Quoth thinks of that as having been the right thing to do as the reader are meant to side-eye a little bit because we've just had Quoth's murder and torture of all these admitted sex criminal murder bandits in exhaustive and graphic detail. Like, this is a question that the reader is meant to be thinking about. Like, did Quoth do, like, really do the right thing? Is he more of a man than them? Or are they all trapped in this kind of messed up idea of what it means to be a real man?
2: I was about to say that Quoth doesn't think about it in those terms. Quoth doesn't waste time thinking about, like, is this the masculine thing to do? What do people think about me in terms of my gender? Except that he does have this urge to protect women. And he does have this attitude toward denna and sex workers instilled in him by his father or something. But like, Kvothe is not immune to the messaging of the patriarchy. He's not as toxic as as these people. He has some enlightened ideas and he's not as concerned with coming off masculine, but he does carry some of these toxic traits, I think. And I think that's interesting because... I think that when the book was written, those traits were still coded as like good masculine behavior in the same way that like not all men are like that was a reasonable response to, <laughs> to the question being asked at the time. I don't have a point really, but I've just, I never thought of it in those terms before. And it's, it's interesting to, because again, on this read through that's become more apparent to me, that quote does carry these toxic gender opinions prejudices but he's not as toxic about it as these men are he's not so concerned with how he comes off he's more concerned with like what's the right thing to do and who am i who needs protecting so maybe from a contemporary lens it's like sexist to assume that it's a man's role to be protecting women i don't think both is thinking of it in those terms i think it's more in terms of like i have power and women are more vulnerable in this society therefore Women are like on the list of those who need to be protected from, from it.
0: In Quill's further defense against accusations of toxic masculinity, he feels that way about women who, generally speaking, do need protecting. Right, like these two women did need somebody to come to their rescue. It could just as easily have been Vashet. It didn't have to be a man who rescued them, but someone sure had to because they they couldn't do it on their own. But I think that that's more to do with quoth kind of having like an old-fashioned sense of chivalry and i don't happen to think that the idea of like def- if you are powerful defending those who have less power than you as a bad idea to have de facto but it can certainly get caught up in other ideas that are uh, less enlightened
2: yeah, well, while what the reason chivalry as like written is not useful is because power and masculinity are the same thing, more or less. I don't have the code of chivalry in front of me, but I think that's one of the reasons it's become like a troublesome guidepost for morality. This would hit different if they were boys, right? Or if if there was a boy and a girl,
1: it would certainly feel more modern if it was. If it was like a boy and a girl. And like, why
2: why is that?
1: Because it's I feel like, especially in fantasy, the victims are often women.
2: Yeah. And so again, like, why is that?
1: <laughs> because of the patriarchy. Um, because <laughs> sorry, this isn't a people... quiz. I'm genuinely I'm genuinely like <laughs> curious. Most about... of the people who write High Fantasy have uh have been men for the for like a long time. And like I feel like only only now are we really starting to see more women getting famous for that sort of thing like i feel like like if you think about like like old timey high fantasy who's the most popular like the names you come up with are guys names
0: i could name you several very popular women fantasy authors from you know the 70s but i think we have to take your larger point that the entire genre of fantasy is coming out of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and those were conservative religious white guys who were in turn inspired by like Arthuriana and Beowulf and Grendel which are old old stories with a very particular view of the gender roles Uh, and surprise surprise the the gender roles imagined in you know medieval Europe or like Anglo-Saxon Britain were not particularly equality minded.
2: Yeah. And so while this isn't like cutting edge by today's standards, how could it be? It's a product of his time. But I think that by its own, by the standards of its time, this is a pretty feminist lens because prior to the time this book was written, this story would have just like arc would have ended here. He would have like delivered the girls back and like everyone would be happy and that would be it. But Mm -hmm. it's engaging with a uncomfortable reality of how at the time and still in many places in the world, the like worth of a woman is measured by her sexual desirability and that idea of, you know, of being soiled or not. And so by engaging with that, by not ending the story, ah, we've brought it full circle. We're back to the, the larger theme of the whole, the whole series. The question of where the story ends is really important because you make it about something different. You change the nature of the story by saying, you know, and they live by where you put, and they lived happily ever after. So like, I think that is what is challenging. And that is sort of the feminist lens that this book at this time brought to it is by not saying, you know, and he rescued them from the bandits and they had a happy life. It's by now engaging with like, well, there's in the society they live in, there are it's these implications. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. And like their, their struggles aren't over.
1: I do think that this is in a good place in the book in to contrast the ADEM definitely it's happening right after the ADEM we just spent a lot of time as, essentially in, in what feels like the other side of this and suddenly he's like sort of in in opposite world from from the ADEM where like things are just not the same and it's very obvious
2: but the ADEM are toxic in a different way right that's yeah. one thing I like about it. it would have been easy to be like here's a perfect society where they have no gender or you know they have like different gender norms and everyone is happy with it and there's no problems, but the Adem have their own like trends toward toxicity and the attitudes that they have toward gender. It's just very different from ours. And and I again that's like more apparent to me on this read. I like that we're discovering these things.
0: And that makes for a more interesting story and a more interesting world, right? If if things aren't neat and clear cut and you can't easily decide who is right and who is wrong to take it to a place of slightly more cultural relevance. Like one of the things that drives me crazy about the way people react to succession is there are some people who are like, Ah, uh, yes, girl boss Shiv Roy. It will be a triumph for her if she if she gets the suck and she becomes head of Waystar Royco. And there are other people who are like, I don't care about the problems of all these horrible rich people because rich people are horrible. And I think both of those extremes of fandom miss the point of that show because the whole show is about how being raised in an environment of wealth and power by parents who are incapable of showing you any real love and affection because of their own traumas. So the only way you can process love and affection is through the, the acquisition of power, because that's what you've taught will get you love and how the effects of having that kind of childhood will carry out into the rest of your life. And you'll never be able to be happy no matter what happens and how much you strive for the thing you think you want. It'll never make you happy. Uh, is like the point of the show so no one's a girl boss and also we aren't meant to like we are meant to empathize with these rich people because they do have very real problems and they are all of them at turn sympathetic but they are also all dreadful and it's funny to watch it's like funny and tragic and pathetic to watch them all scramble for this ultimately meaningless trophy this has been succession hour Uh, what is this show succession it's like the biggest show on hbo for the last four years
2: and it just ended
1: oh, i uh, i don't have hbo i'll probably never watch it
0: you could just steal it it's so easy to steal yeah it.
1: but i have i have things to do jeremy i have a life to live i don't have time to watch all the
0: shows wow damning me by implication for having watched one show in the <laughs> cultural zeitgeist
1: I'm just watching a lot of other things right now.
2: Is all yeah, Jordana's right. too busy listening to podcasts like this podcast, the show that she listens to every day. Right, Jordana?
1: Uh, Yeah, whatever you say, Nick.
0: Listeners, you'll do whatever <laughs> we say on tomorrow's
2: page.
1: Uh,
2: kill the president. Uh, legally, do not kill the president.
0: The wind. Wind. <laughs>